Hello everyone, it's Kat again, and welcome back to So Below, Healing Trauma with Respect to Our Duality. Today I want to do something a little bit different, and I want to start by reading you a story. Our tale begins like many others, on a normal day with a normal person who didn't expect anything extraordinary to happen at all. It had been a rough few years. A plague had ripped through the countryside, devastating every town it came across. In an attempt to stop the spread of the illness, the lords of the land had commanded the people to stay in their homes, and the kingdom closed their borders. This was especially hard for those who lived within the city walls, practically piled on top of each other. The poor grew increasingly desperate as food stores grew low, and the hard times were worn on the people's faces. The melancholy got so bad that snake oil salesmen started to peddle potions to relieve the pain. Many were harmless tonics, Some were fakes. Only a few were the real deal made by real witches. Most were good and were brought peace to those who drank them. But some were made with powerful dark magic. They felt much like the good potions at first, lifting the mood of the drinker. But the dark potions turned bitter as they wore off, leaving the person feeling angry and paranoid until they got another dose. It would cling to their mind and call to them to take another. Soon the potion would take over the drinker, always desperate for one last drop. It was worse than the plague to watch a family member fall to the potion, a slow and painful death. For Anne, the years had been rough. They'd beaten her down. A young mother, she lost her first husband to the plague, leaving her alone to tend to the farm with the two children. After a couple years, though, she had gotten her life back on track and the farm was producing, her kids were thriving, and she met a widower with a young child who soon became her best friend, and they were married last spring. But the plague returned and took the life of her husband's child, and each day that passed, she watched the light leave his eyes. He stopped getting out of bed. He stopped eating. Anne begged him to find help, to talk to her, to do something, and one day, sick of her pleas for him to do anything at all, he stormed out of the house and was gone late into the hours of the night. And when he stumbled back to bed, he reeked of drink. The next morning, she woke to the smell of breakfast cooking. Her husband smiled at her and spent the day helping around the farm. Things felt normal for the first time in a long time. But as the darkness fell, so did his mood. He was angry and brooding, and a dark cloud shrouded his countenance. Anne went to bed confused and feeling so alone in the world. But the next day was the same. He was bright and cheery in the morning, then paranoid and extremely angry as night fell. This continued for a few more days making Anne wonder if her husband had been taking a dark potion. A quick look in his jacket pockets while he slept revealed multiple bottles. She set them on the table and waited till morning. When he awoke, she confronted him about his use of the dark magic, and he promised he would stop. But without the potion, he stopped getting out of bed again. But now his dreams were filled with a deep craving. His body shook violently with a desire for the darkness. One morning, after a rough night, staying up nursing her husband through the night, Through all of his night terrors, she woke up and found he was gone. All day she finished her work, but a dark feeling had settled over her home. She made the choice to send her children to her mother's house while she figured out the next step, because she couldn't live like this anymore. She packed his things and set them at the front door and waited for him to come in. It was past midnight, and she could see he had taken the potion again, so she told him he was no longer welcome. As she gazed into his eyes, she searched desperately for any sign of the man that she had fallen in love with. But he wasn't there. 
A vacant darkness had settled while something sinister burned behind the dark recesses of his soul. It sent a chill down her spine. He stood there silently sneering at her, his energy vibrating with anger so intense it was palpable. Who do you think you are, he snarled in a low, deep rumble that filled Anne with terror. You think you can control me? Don't do this. Don't take that. You're not welcome, silly woman, speaking of things you don't understand. You call it darkness. I call it power. Whatever you call it, you can take it elsewhere. This is my home, and you are no longer welcome here, she replied with a quiver in her voice. He took a step closer, but she stood firm, holding her head high. Another step closer. Stay back. Just take your things and go, she said, trying to ball her hands into fists so he couldn't see how violently her hands were shaking. But he didn't stop, slowly moving closer to her. As his full height towered over her, the bulk of his body blocked the light of the candle on the table, throwing a shadow over her and masking his face in darkness, all but the eerie glow behind his eyes that didn't belong. She doesn't understand, but she will, said his voice, but there were two voices speaking. The other was a low snarl that sounded unworldly, and her body felt like it had been plunged in ice. He reached for her and she jumped back, tripping over the chair. She rolled as far as she could before crawling under the table in an attempt to get to the door. The table flipped over her from on top of her, and his foot slammed into her cheekbone, knocking her back into the broken pile of table. Dazed, she got to her feet and stumbled toward the door, but he was on her again. Her feet were lifted off the ground as he scooped her into his arms. She fought back fiercely, scratching his face, hitting and kicking with all of her might, but he slammed her into the bed and slapped her so hard that her teeth rattled in her head. Stars popped in her eyes as his fingers closed in around her throat. His hand closed its grip slowly while she fought to loosen his fingers and fought for every last breath. Please, she gasped, staring at him into his dark, glowing eyes, begging for her life. A smile curled over his lips, a taunting jeer that looked nothing like the man she knew. Thoughts of her children flooded her mind and a tear fell from her lashes and landed on his hand. The demon inside of him stared at the teardrop for a moment, then loosened his grip on her throat as she gasped desperately for air. His other hand reached into his jacket pocket and pulled out three small vials of potion and ripped the lids off with his teeth. With all of his weight on top of her, she couldn't fight anymore, and tears streamed down her face as she weakly struggled against him. He shoved all three bottles into her mouth and tipped them out, pouring the contents down her throat while he plugged her nose, making sure she would swallow them all. As darkness burned down her throat, an inky blackness filled the whites of her eyes. Her body convulsed and drool dripped down her chin, and all around her she was surrounded by the demons of hell that had come to escort her there. For what felt like endless days and nights, her flesh was torn, her body ripped to pieces, over and over. She fought endlessly, Some days prevailing, most days ended with her broken on the floor. Worse than the torches of her flesh were the ones that infiltrated her mind, unleashing all the darkest fears and twisted nightmares. Not one thought was left unturned as they saw all they could use to control her. Overwhelmed, beaten, and lost in despair, she was finally left alone with her thoughts, broken and curled in a ball on the stone floor, her naked body torn and disheveled. She strained to picture her children one last time before she gave in to the despair forever. 
The sound of their laughter is what she heard first. It was the most joyful sound she had ever heard. Their faces burst into life before her eyes, laughing with the kind of amusement that comes from never knowing loss, the pure love of innocence. In her mind's eye, she held their hands, and the warmth of the chubby fingers in her palm filled her with a strength long forgotten. Mommy, they called, so happy to see her, and suddenly she was on her feet. And for the first time, she could see the room around her. She could see beyond the pain. A stone room with a low ceiling surrounded her. The only way out was a narrow passageway, dancing with flames and filled with the glowing eyes of her demon captors. She closed her eyes to paint a vivid picture of her children's face one last time, with their eyes full of love and hope, and every ounce of fear left her. When she opened her eyes, she was fully clothed in a thick leather armor that was light and comfortable. As she stepped into the flames, she stared defiantly at her tormentors and strode forward quickly. The passageway was long, but she could see a light at the end, so she picked up speed, the flames licking at her heels. She stared straight ahead at the light in front of her, hoping the demons would let her pass. But as they approach her with caution, the light at the end of the tunnel seems farther and farther away. A tendril lashed out and wrapped around her leg. She pitched forward and stumbled, but broke free and kept moving. A hand with long black fingers like the legs of a spider grabbed her arm so hard that she slammed back into his long, thin body. His putrid breath leaked out the corners of his wide, thin smile, filled with razor-sharp teeth. His reptilian face was pitch black, but his eyes were misty white with the silvery light of the moon. Anne felt the squish of his eye when she jabbed her finger into it, but as he relinquished his grasp, she was able to take off running. She dodged, ran past, and fought off demon after demon, but with each one she grew more weary. Finally, she yelled, Stop! That's enough! And strangely, they all stopped. Let me pass, she said, and they froze. She took a few tentative steps, but they didn't move. So she broke into a run. She could see the brightness of daylight ahead of her, feel the breeze of outside, and still the demon sat and watched her leave. Sweat dripped down her cheeks as she burst out of the stone archway and she collapsed onto the ground. When she opened her eyes, she was in her own bed, in her own home, with her mother sitting next to her. And over by the fire, her father sat with her children safely there. Now I'm sure you're wondering the point of me telling you the story. If you paid attention, you might notice that it's loosely based on my own story. And the point of it is, you get to be the author of your own story. That's the best part of healing, is this is the part that we get to change. One thing I learned on the other side was that there is some predestination here on this earth. There are certain things that we agreed to before we came down here. We were the author of our own story before we came. But it was with the eyes of people who understood the powers that we had there. We authored this story with the knowledge of the powers that we are capable of and the things that we're capable of. And then we come here and forget all of our capabilities. So when these things happen to us, we don't really know what to do with them. But when we remember that we are the author of our own story, it allows us to take time to examine our story and decide which point of view we want to tell the story from. You get to make yourself the hero of your own story. This is the part where we change the narrative. We're no longer the victim. We're the person who prevailed. 
We're the person who survived. There are so many ways that we can handle healing. And there are so many ways that we can focus on our, our journey afterwards. But if we focus on the fact that we are more powerful than we've ever given ourselves credit for, then it's a good reminder that we can write what's next. What's next hasn't been written yet. It hasn't been decided. Nothing in your life is decided and permanent yet. You can do things to make changes where it matters. You can decide to go back to school. You can decide to go to therapy. You can decide to get a new job because your other job is making you miserable. You can just make decisions to change your life. And that's such a powerful thing. When we're children, we're so desperate to become adults, we can do whatever we want, and then we become adults, and we don't know what the fuck we want. This is the beautiful part of our story, where we get to decide what the fuck we want, and then author the story we want to have. Yes, there will be unexpected turns. There will be setbacks. There will be trials. You're going to have to relive shit over and over again sometimes. But in the end, it's how you get back up again. My favorite quote from Thomas Edison was, I never failed. I found 2,837 ways it didn't work. It's a beautiful way to think. I never failed. I never fell. Because I always got back up again. Nothing could knock me down permanently, and that makes me powerful. That takes power away from anybody who tried to do me dirty. What my ex did to me, the way he hurt me, the way he made me feel as a human being like I was worthless, that betrayal that he put me through, I am so much more than that. And he never gets to make me be anything less than I am ever again. Because I took my power back from him. I am the author of my own story, and whatever happens now happens. Whatever way he comes back into my life, if he ever does, which I hope he doesn't because it won't end well for him, it's not going to change the fact that I already know how my story is going to go because I am the one who is in charge of where my story is going. And every choice I make, I have to ask myself, is this going to serve the person I plan on being in five years? Is this going to serve the purposes that I need it to serve. Because if it's not, it's not worth your time and effort. The only thing in your life you should be working towards are your goals. It's time to take your healing in your life back. Stop focusing on giving your energy to people who don't deserve it. Focus your energy where it belongs, with you in your journey, pushing forward to do the things that you know that you're capable of and reaching the fullness of your potential because you are a healed person. And a healed person doesn't mean perfect. It doesn't mean never been broken. A healed person means somebody who doesn't allow their trauma to rule their life anymore because they are in control. You are the author of your own story. Get connected to who you are. Connect to the character, your main character, and decide where you want to go with them. How are you going to give them the future they want if you don't understand their backstory completely. But remember, your backstory doesn't just start here on this earth. It started before. And when you know that there's some kind of preordination, some kind of predestiny, it makes it easier to say, 
I must have known, I must have known I had great powers for me to write a story like that. I would not put myself through that if I didn't think I could handle it. So what does that tell you about your powers? What does that tell you about what you're capable of if this is something you might have agreed to in the past with the full knowledge of your powers and capabilities? I want to leave you with one possible scenario that you can do to help you with your healing journey. I want to ask you to sit down and write your story, but from a different perspective. Make it sci-fi, make it fantasy, make it fiction, however you want to do it, but make yourself the main character and make yourself a hero because that's what you are. You're not a damsel in distress. You're the damsel who gets up and does it her damn self. That's what we do as survivors. You are so much more powerful than you've ever given yourself credit for. And take it from me, someone who has seen divine light and divine wisdom. You have power within you. All you have to do is believe in it.